You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I'm really drawn to the resurrection and to the cross because of the life of Jesus. Like there's something about Jesus that compels me, and, and I feel like it's because of the cross and the resurrection. Like, if there were no resurrection, then the cross would, would, be, would just be the death of a good man. It would be the death of a man who loves. But because there's resurrection, we see more than a good man, we see a good God. And because there's resurrection, we see more than a man who loves, we see a God who loves. And, and, and to see that God who loves is to see that God climb into the trenches of humanity right? Like, like a God could come and could, could manifest himself in some sort of power and, and maybe even in an absurd effort manifest himself in the power by giving himself over to the created ones to kill him and then to resurrect and demonstrate this power with, with all of this glory and with an angelic chorus or with some sort of, you know, miraculous moves, which we do see in the resurrection when the veil splits and the sort of an earthquake happens and people come out of the tombs and it scares, you know, the townsfolk half to death. And we see that, we hear that in the narrative. We, we know that people could never find Jesus's body. We know that there's no way that these men could live their lives telling this sort of fictitious tale of a God who was raised and yet give their lives and let their lives be taken from them in martyrdom. And then 2,000 years, man, of people believing that this God came and, and put skin on and died on a cross and submitted to execution of the state and then was risen from the dead, and it changed everything. It changed everything. It created things like hospitals and things like orphanages and things that actually become life-giving things in our world. And those life-giving things in our world were created because they believed in a life-giving God who didn't just die and was risen, but who also lived and showed us what it looks like to be human. See, Jesus was known as this friend of sinners, and he's found in the presence of liars. Jesus is found in the presence of thieves. This Jesus, who's more than a good man, but is a good God. He's God with skin on. Like this Jesus is found with liars and thieves and prostitutes and people struggling to believe. Jesus is found there. He's found with the rich, and he's found with the poor. He's found with the powerless, and he's found with the divorced. He's, you see Jesus in his life and he's found with the widow and he's found with the child. He's found with the religious elite and he's always found with those who are left out. You see this in Jesus. He's found with the murderer, the immigrant, the racist, the unrepentant. Jesus is found there. He's found with humanity, all of humanity. And God in Jesus reveals that contrary to all the prevalent narratives of exclusion, the prevalent narratives of being able to determine who is in and who is out, who is worthy and unworthy. We see in Jesus, because he was crucified and because he's risen, we see in Jesus that God is willing to be with all of us. With all of us. This perfect and holy and beautiful God who hangs the stars in the sky, forms the clouds with his hands, with the stroke of a brush, paints a rainbow. This God who gave you your faces and your bodies and your breath. This God who creates all of us and yet we all look distinct 
We all look different. This God with that power shows us there is not a soul, not a life that is unwelcomed in His life. The Scriptures tell us that He preached in the synagogues and He demonstrated the presence of God and His kingdom in Galilean neighborhoods. And and that Jesus taught that God's kingdom doesn't operate like the world's kingdoms. It doesn't operate like Rome. And any news to the contrary should be considered fake news. He proclaimed forgiveness of sins and practiced hospitality with sinners. He made the blind to see and the disabled able. He strengthened weakened hands and straightened crooked legs. He touched the untouchable lepers and welcomed the unwelcomable lawbreakers. And he hugged the hurting and he held the children. And I was thinking, what can I talk about on an Easter Sunday? And I thought, man, I'll just talk about Jesus. See, because when I think of Jesus, I think about this woman at a well. See, this woman at a well had all these husbands, right? She'd she'd been married, divorced, or widowed more times than most people in society could count this woman. She She was considered a despicable shame in her own town, so much so that this woman refused to go to the well to draw water at the time that all the other women did, and so she went in the heat of the day just to avoid the gossip, just to avoid the shame. And Jesus... Jesus, knowing she's going to be at this well, goes out of his way in his travels to meet her there. And he offers her his presence and life with God. I think about stories of Jesus encountering lepers, and I think about this one leper that Jesus encountered. I think about what life must have been like about this leper who all of a sudden woke up one day and saw something on his face or on his arm. And back in that day, when you see something on your face and your arm and you can't explain it, you go to the priest. And you don't kiss your family goodbye, but you know that when you go to the priest, it could be the last time you see your family. And you find out at the priest that you have this disease that no one can explain. And so you're asked to leave the town and live out on the edges of society, the edges of the town, and these what people know as leper colonies with other sick and dying people. It's a death sentence. And every time somebody walks by you or comes near you, you have to shout, unclean, unclean. And so your own pronouncement for your entire life is, I am not worthy to be in your presence, people. That is the life of a leper. And I see, I see this leper and I wonder, man, when I hold my son and when I hug my wife, even when I shake your hand, I think lepers couldn't do that. There was no touch. And then I see Jesus, and I see Jesus not just speak from a distance. Jesus didn't just say, be healed. Jesus Jesus didn't put on latex gloves. I see Jesus doing what this leper had not had done, and God knows how long. I see Jesus touching him. Think of this crazy possessed man, this demon possessed man, 
This man that was so scary and so misunderstood to society, he was such a threat to society that he was put out on an island, put out in a place by himself and chained to a rock. This man who was so misunderstood, I can't can't imagine what this man felt like. Like I have to believe that there were moments in this man's life where he just where he didn't understand why he feels what he feels. Like he, he didn't understand why he was so angry. He didn't understand why he was so oh, enraged. And he didn't understand it. And he didn't understand maybe at times why he's on this rock, chained to this rock all by himself, why people are scared of him. And I see Jesus like crossing over and going to this man in all of his rage and all of his possession and all of his illness and all of his craziness i see jesus I see jesus coming to this man and i see jesus healing this man i see jesus who was known as this friend of sinners hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And for us, that may mean very little. But Jesus hung out with the lawbreakers and the crazy and the possessed. He he spent time with the lepers. There wasn't a soul, there wasn't a life that he wasn't willing to touch and receive. And see, when I look at the resurrection, I understand why. Because all of these things tell us that it's, it's our lot in life. All of these things tell us that this is just the way it's always going to be. We're always going to be the leper. We're always going to be the crazy one. We're always going to be the shamed one. We're always going to be the imperfect one. The one who doesn't measure up. We're always going to be the excluded one. Always going to have this demon and this addiction and this struggle. And yet I see Jesus. And I see his life through the lens of resurrection. And I see that Jesus is saying to us, those things don't have the final word. This is not your lot in life. That's a phrase Christians shouldn't even use. There's no lot in life. There's life. Jesus is risen. And yet I see that sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes I struggle to believe it. Sometimes I feel as though I'm chained on the rock all alone. And yet I see Jesus. I see Jesus living in light of a religious tradition, a religious tradition that tells him he shouldn't hang out with folks like this. See, religious leaders didn't like Jesus participating in life with these folks. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna participate in life of God according to the religious leaders, then you're gonna have to keep company with good people. Word on the street, see, is even companionships corrupts good habits. And we see these religious leaders labeling Jesus because they do not understand what Jesus understands. They do not know what Jesus knows. And so what they see is a man who keeps company with the wrong people. Yes, some things never change. 
See, it's just no wonder why his own disciples didn't understand him and his family couldn't explain him and the religious leaders couldn't stand him. He was called a drunkard. Jesus was called a drunkard. Can you imagine calling God a drunkard? Like, think about it. Like, like you only know the impact of that statement because we know resurrection. Like, God, you're a drunk. That's what, that's what it was like. Label, Jesus was labeled out of his mind. Right, like he. So I guess I guess he could under he could identify with the dude on the rock chained to it who was out of his mind. Jesus was labeled out of his mind. Jesus was rejected by the religious right, <laughs> and he was he was lambasted by the religious left because <laughs> he because he doesn't work on those categories because he's God. Not interested in the right left center. He's interested in the whole. And so for some, his life and teachings were difficult to understand and explain. His testimony of what God was doing in the world and how God was going to get it done didn't line up with the facts on the ground. And yet because of his cross and resurrection, it became clear to his disciples later, disciples like the Apostle Paul, that Christ was, as he said, the visible image of the invisible God. And that the entire fullness of God's nature dwelt in Jesus in bodily form and that God was pleased to have all His fullness be revealed in Jesus. Like, that's Paul's language. All His fullness revealed in Jesus. Well, then what's revealed in Jesus? The welcome of all. See, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who issued the Ten Commandments, including the one who said, you shall not make any other images for yourself, became the image of the invisible God in the person of Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see what love looks like. Because when we look at Jesus, we see God. What we see in Jesus is how God stubbornly refused to let us condemn ourselves and even condemn one another. We see that love is God's way of entering into our brokenness and entering into our suffering. It's the kind of love that loves without caution or restraint. It's the kind of love that loves without boundaries or limits. It's the kind of love that loves beyond the person's inadequacies or failures or beyond worthiness and unworthiness. That's what we see in Jesus. It's the kind of love that just can't stop loving. It's the kind of love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And because Jesus is risen, it's the kind of love that never fails. And, and what we see in Jesus is that love, if it's real, if it's that kind of resurrection love, it always, it always does what is right rather than what is easy. And that's why when we see Jesus, we see the cross. Because the powerful and political and religious leaders didn't, didn't like what Jesus was doing. They felt like they needed to put a stop to him because Jesus was threatening their way of life. And you know what? He still threatens people's way of life. Because love is what we all like to sing about, but it's so hard to give. Because for many of us, it's hard to receive. And so as Jesus is threatening their way of life and their hopes and dreams, he, he created this movement, this movement that threatened to take away their power and, and, and take away their, their plans and their policies. And Jesus and the kingdom that he was proclaiming started getting in their way. And so they turned to violence, just like we turned to labeling. You know how we turned to labeling? Jesus, they turned to, they turned to labeling, but when labeling wasn't enough, they turned to violence. The leaders. 
And so they looked for ways to catch him. And they caught him. And they had him arrested. They stripped him naked. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him. They shamed him. They nailed him to a cross. They nailed him to a cross so everyone could watch him die, so that everyone would know this is what happens when you subvert the way of the empire. And Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't raise a sword or even a voice. He taught everyone to love their enemies, and that's exactly what he did down to the end, which is why Paul said, even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. See, the Jewish authorities thought they had won. They thought that they had beaten Jesus, who they knew some had believed was God's Son, was God in the flesh, was the chosen one, was the King. They didn't know that Jesus died not because He had to, but because He chose to. They didn't know that they, like all of us, deserve to be separated from God forever for all the times that we've gone our own way and played a complicit role in a world given over to self-indulgence, fear, and violence. They, they didn't know, like us, that time and again that we have decided that we didn't want to live our lives with God's King and that we've played our own part in ruining God's world with our own self-centered, rebellious ways. They didn't know. They didn't know that, that, that Jesus' cross would become His crown. They didn't know. They didn't know that Jesus' death would become His life and ours, that the one true King that had given His life for the world had come so that we could overcome sin and death ruling in the world. They didn't know. They didn't know that by the death of Jesus that God was defeating all the evil in our own hearts, all of the shame in our own hearts. They didn't know that the death of Jesus showed us that God refuses to turn away from us in our suffering, in our disease, in our abandonment, in our loneliness, in our anxiety, our depression, our abuse, our agonies of all kinds. In the death of Jesus, they didn't know that God was suffering with us. They didn't know that in the death of Jesus, God revealed the origin of evil and He wasn't it. They didn't know that God was not participating in their evil and cooperating with their evil so that He could mysteriously bring about some sort of grand scheme too difficult for our finite minds to comprehend. No, Jesus reveals God as the one who suffers with the world and the flesh in order to overcome all the evil and to assure us that evil has no real purpose, no real power, no lasting future. They didn't know. They didn't know that Jesus on the cross was God's ultimate demonstration of a different kind of power. One that was expressed not by taking absolute control over the world, not through some self-serving or self-asserting love, but through a self-giving love, a different kind of power. A power that society would have considered weak. <laughs> a power that society would consider weak. If only they would have had resurrection, I suppose. See, they didn't know that the power of self-giving love is the kind of power that redeems because Christ is risen. They didn't know that the power of self-giving love could be the power that restores because Christ is risen. That is the kind of power that blesses and opens up new possibilities because Christ is risen. And sometimes I wonder if we know. Sometimes I wonder if you and I know. Do we know? See, we live in a society where we call evil good and good evil, where we mistake darkness for light and light for darkness, where we call bitter sweet and sweet bitter, 
where we think war leads to peace and peace to war. And they tell us that we should love with caution and restraint, that we should love with self-protecting boundaries and limits. They, they tell us that we should only love those that we've determined are worthy. They tell us that we are irreversibly categorized between labels and classes, races, gender, sexual preferences, and other identity markers. And even the church has bought into that idea from time to time. And all of these categories and labels deal out is death, a slow death that comes from exclusion and anxiety and fear and injustice and violence. And yet then we look at Jesus. Through the lens of resurrection, we see Jesus and that He's still at work in our churches and demonstrating the presence of God's kingdom in our subdivisions just like He did in the synagogues and the Galilean neighborhoods. We look at Jesus who's telling us that God's kingdom still doesn't operate like the world's kingdoms and that any news to the contrary should just be considered fake. He's still proclaiming the forgiveness of sins and practicing hospitality with the left out lonely and last and those society considers the least. He's still causing the blind to see, but yes, the resurrected Jesus reminds us that sometimes those who see can become blind. He's still making the disabled able, but sometimes reminds us that the able can disable themselves. Jesus is still strengthening weakened hands, but He reminds us that sometimes strong hands are actually the weak ones. He still straightens crooked legs, but reminds us that straightened legs can sometimes choose to walk crooked paths. He's still reaching out to touch those labeled untouchable. Love those branded unlovable and welcome those judged as unwelcomable. We know this because in the cross and the resurrection, we see the crucified God who was risen. We see God entering into our suffering, suffering in the most despicable way. In the cross, we see that Jesus is no stranger to suffering and brokenness. He's no stranger to a history filled with those wounds, those wounded by violence and ruined by hatred. He's no stranger to the soul lost in its dark nights and smothered by unexpected tragedy and pain. And yet there's this strange contradiction that we see in the cross and in the resurrection. See, in Jesus, when we see wounds, we really see healing. When we see His ruin, we see our redemption. When we see loss, we see our gain. When we see His tragedy, we see our triumph. The cross and the resurrection becomes a place where darkness turns to light and pain turns to peace and brokenness turns to beauty because death opens up to new birth. And what we learn is that we can take these broken things, this wound, this woundedness, this loss, this darkness, this tragedy, this death, and we can take them to God because the event of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday didn't just happen, it's happening. It's present tense. Death cannot take away life anymore because new life has already been through death. Christ's final breath frees us from the chains of death. In Jesus, we're forgiven. In Jesus, we're freed. And then Jesus in the cross and resurrection reorders the world. 
And see, that becomes the contradiction of our confession. Because there are some of us who've heard what I've said and think that it's all a bunch of bull. Because we know what the facts are on the ground. We see people suffer. We feel it ourselves. We see death. We hear of fear and violence and war. We have our friends who are more committed to their ideology than they are their relationships. We see people putting their hope, all their hope, in Capitol Hill, despite Calvary's Hill. We see it. And I realize that, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it's hard to believe. And so I cling to resurrection. And when I cling to resurrection, I look at Jesus. And I look at the one who reordered the world, who told us that society was no longer going to be allowed to play in its old way of doing things with all of its old categories and labels. Come to see that Jesus may fit inside my heart, but he's not going to fit inside my preferences. And I need that sometimes. He's going to be my king, not my concierge. He's going to be my savior, not my subordinate. He's going to be my redeemer, not my fellow Republican. He's going to be my deliverer, not my fellow Democrat. He's going to be my Lord, not my fellow Libertarian. He's going to be my mediator of a new covenant, not some mediator of a nationalistic commitment. He's going to be the advocate and the victor, not an advocate of violence. Jesus is going to be the prince of peace, not a prince of war. He's the lamb that was slain and the firstborn from the dead, and he chose to demonstrate all of this to a self-giving love rather than a self-serving love, and he welcomed every single person from every margin of every place into his life, and that includes me. There is nothing you and I are ever going to do to not be welcomed into the life of God. Even if pastors say otherwise, even if churches say otherwise, even if society says otherwise, there stands Jesus, the resurrected one. There stands Jesus, the one who entered into that suffering through the cross and overcame it through resurrection. There stands Jesus. A blood-stained cross and an empty tomb reminds us that not even hell itself can break what God has done. See, the trust in resurrection is not just a trust in having hope one day, quote-unquote, that we'll live in the presence of God. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that the presence of God is made available now. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. Everything has changed. New things have come. The question for you and for me is how will we live? Like, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because the thing is about Easter, it can't just be about some God that we sort of envision as some all-powerful God because that's not... That's not how Jesus wants us merely to see him. He wants us to see him in his power to overcome death, but he wants us to see him in his life. So my question for you is, are you the woman at the well? Are you the leper? 
Are you the crazy possessed one who just doesn't fit in? Are you the one who's not living up to what people expect you to do? Are you the one who's been burned by this whole like church and religion thing? Are you the one who's gone to church every single Sunday, but your life remains the same? And you know it. Are you the one who doubts whether or not this whole thing is even real? See, here's what I know. This Jesus who lived, who went to the cross and overcame the cross, demonstrated that the life he lived has authority. See, the life he lives has authority. And the authority is the feeble and the frail, the sinful and the wicked, the hurting and the abused and the lonely, the religious, the rich, the poor, the prideful. You're all welcome with him. You're welcome into his life. And any church worth its salt that believes in this Jesus would have to also stand and say, and you're welcome with them too. See, those of you who are part of this church know who we are. I mean, you look around, you see Hoyt. I mean, if we accept Hoyt, we accept anybody. I mean, you look around and you see who we are. If you're visiting with us, you may not know the stories of the people in these seats, but I'm going to tell you, there are plenty of women at the well. There are plenty of lepers. You're looking at one. There are plenty of crazy possessed folks. Meet Hoyt. There's not a soul here who doesn't understand that we need. We need the kind of love that our souls long for. And the only one in the entire cosmos that has proven he's willing to give it without consequence is Jesus. And it's his cross and resurrection that gives that life authority. So if you struggle, struggle on. Jesus isn't going to go anywhere. If you have your sin and your shame, you can keep hiding it if you'd like. Jesus knows it's there and he'll meet you at the well. If you have the marks on your skin and the marks on your body and you feel like you wear the letter on your forehead and the letter on your chest because you've been given the labels by your brothers and sisters, keep wearing it. Jesus is Lord. He's not labeling you. The only label he gives you is love. And then maybe, if you keep showing up, even with a whispering and quivering yes, if you keep showing up and you keep coming to the table, this table where Christians for 2,000 years have gathered to remember the cross in light of the resurrection, where they've taken bread that, that, that reminded them of the body, of Jesus that was very real, that the body, the same hands that touched the leper were the same hands that were nailed to the cross. 
The same arms that received the children were the same arms that were spread on the cross. The same feet that walked the dirty streets of Galilee in the neighborhoods to proclaim the forgiveness and the welcome of God are the same feet that went to the cross. And for 2,000 years, Christians have come to this bread that is the body and have remembered all of that. And it has authority because Christ is risen. See, we've come to the table and we've come to the table to take in this, this cup and it's like a, a little tiny shot of grape juice, right? Sometimes a little sour. Sometimes it's the Sam's brand versus the Welch's brand. You always know the difference. Let's just be honest. And that's what it is until we come to the table in faith remembering what it means. That the blood that was spilled from his hands and his feet and from his side is the blood that was spilled because the world gave God all it had, its most despicable violence. The one thing that the world uses to threaten everybody, death, the world gave to Jesus. The blood was shed. The blood was spilled. And yet he overcame death and resurrection. And every week we gather, we, we take in the cup that is the blood of Christ and remembers that our sins are cleansed and that our lives are set free because death was arrested. Death was arrested in the resurrection of Jesus. And then here's the thing. We don't just come to the table one at a time. And we don't just come to the table because it's our own personal time. We don't pray and pass it around. We come to the table two by two. Brother by brother, sister by sister, brother by sister. Left by right, right and left. Leper by woman at the well, woman at the well by crazy possessed, excluded one. Republican by Democrat by Libertarian by social person by antisocial person. An introvert by extrovert, old and young, white and brown and black, and everything in between. We come, all of us, feeble and faithful. Because no one has any authority over this table except for Jesus. See, because He's the one who died. He's the one who rose. And He's the one who reigns. And this is His table. And if the God of heaven and earth would take table with friends and enemies alike, I can assure you, he'll welcome you too.